As we've been mentioning throughout the show, today is National Telephone Day, a time to celebrate Alexander Graham Bell's remarkable innovation. Hard to imagine Bell would have pictured a modern smartphone when he uh, got to work back when, but uh, much has changed in 146 years since all that happened, but the basic premise hasn't really, and oh, what a premise it was, and just how much it changed very much, or changed a lot over time. Uh, my next guest knows all about that. Jay Zagorski is a senior lecturer in markets, public policy, and law at the Question School of Business at Boston University, which happens to be where Bell actually was teaching when he created his phone and made the first call, a professor at the very same school. So there's all kinds of history tied into it. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for your time tonight. Thank you for having me on the show, Ben. It's lovely to be here. We've been talking about phones, our my nostalgia for the landline at home and the busy signal and all those things. And But it's, it must be amazing when you, you teach your students in economics about you use the phone as an example. And, and part of it, the, the attraction of it is you happen to be where Bell was also teaching when, when it all began. Yeah, Bell taught for a number of years at BU, and then he had this idea for the telephone. And he asked the dean, he said, Dean, I need a little time off. So the dean gave him one-year sabbatical, full pay, and said, go off and work on your invention. Uh, and it turned idea. out to be this world-changing event. Um, and Bell was very thankful when he came back to Boston University with a patent uh, like for it. creating the first telephone. I can imagine. Um, well, how is the telephone such a good example? Uh, and history aside, the telephone seems to be a great example in teaching your students about certain economic lessons. What, what, what are they? So let me first tell you that I'm actually calling you uh, and talking to you right now on a landline. So you oh, have this God. nostalgia for what you've said before. Uh, and uh, I'm talking to you on a 1960s princess phone. And in the other room, I actually have a one of the original rotary dial phones. Uh, but I didn't have enough time this evening to swap over and do this, do it on one of the 1940 or 50s uh, original phones. So uh, one of the things that I teach people is that we always focus right now a lot on inflation. There's a lot of talk among my students. Gasoline prices are up all around the world and meat's much more expensive to eat. But one of the true revolutions has been the drop in telephone prices over time. And this has revolutionized the world. To make a phone call from the Atlantic Ocean side to the Pacific Ocean side, and I'm going to use New York to San Francisco as an example, Back in 1915, which was when it was the first time you could really make clear phone calls that whole long distance, in Canadian dollars, that three-minute phone call cost 750 Canadian dollars, three minutes to talk coast to coast. Wow. This is yeah, right I'm, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, I, remember, I remember not that price, but I remember how expensive it used to be. That's remarkable. Back in 1968, when I was you know, a young boy, Okay, that same three-minute phone call cost almost $20 Canadian to make a coast-to-coast -coast call. In 2006, the U.S. government stopped tracking long-distance phone calls, the price of, because it was just like no one cared anymore. And Ben, I'm sorry, I don't know exactly where you're located, but it doesn't matter. You and I could be anywhere in the world, and we could be having this conversation. And we don't think about the price. It's not like, oh, he's too far away to get contacted on our, our radio show. So the price right now is pretty close to zero. The real cost is just the handset and the monthly subscription. 
It's remarkable. I remember even back living in, you know, I, I lived in Edinburgh briefly when I was in my late teens. And to call home, you, you had to like take buckets of pound, pound coins and run to the nearest payphone and just start pouring them in for a very short phone call. And now you can speak to anyone anywhere in the world um, relatively cheaply. How has that, how has that changed? I mean, you, in that article you've written for the conversation, there's a lot of interesting stats in it. This was a few years back, but you included a lot of really interesting stats about just how much the phone managed to, how much, first of all, how important the phone was when it arrived, because there was simply nothing like it. Um, and then how much it changed even our ability to, I suppose, it, it was ability to make money to some extent. I mean, it, it, it lifted up people's, uh, people's lot in life to some extent. I want to talk about two things. The first thing is we think a lot right now about supply chain issues. There's no way we could have factories located halfway around the world if we didn't have the ability to just pick up the phone and talk to people. If we had to send them letters to say, well, why don't you produce this tomorrow? And why don't we send a letter of why don't you change the price on this the next day? We couldn't have things. We'd have to have things located very closely. And by having the ability to do communications, our opportunities are so much wider. I can imagine with, with when it first started, though, and this was an interesting part of the article that, that you wrote, it wasn't exactly embraced when it was first rolled out, or at least not allotted the way one might think it would be lauded. <laughs> it was much more a novelty item. Uh, Alexander Graham Bell went around and he showed it to kings and queens, and people would have, uh, for example, uh, for, they made a very famous phone call from Buckingham Palace uh, into downtown London. But people thought of it just as a novelty, and they just didn't understand how transformative it is. But what telephones have really done is they've given us the ability to speak to somebody anywhere, which has dramatically reduced the amount of labor, the amount of people we need to get things done. Let me give you a quick example. I had my floors being buffed. Uh, in the kitchen not very long ago. And while the man was buffing the floors, his phone kept ringing. And uh, I said to him, isn't that distracting? He said, no, it allowed me to do more jobs because I can communicate with my workers. If they see a problem on a floor, they snap a picture of it. They send it to me on my phone. I don't need an extra foreman on that job. I can actually be watching over that job at the same time because I have this cell phone here. So he was able to do more jobs with the same amount of labor, and that gave him more money. I was, um, someone was telling me a story the other day about how people in places where you, you know, where even, even a normal phone call is expensive, how they have codes on their rings to, to like three is deliver at this time, two is deliver at that, you know, it's not nefarious, uh, but just how people have become so inventive. What do you think about it? When I think about the change that happened from the move from phones to mobile phones, there was always this idea that the phone was a was a sort of a family device. You know, the phone number belonged to the household. Um, the phone itself was a family tool, you know. And then mobile phones came along and made them personal tools. So, you know, now it's your personal phone number, your personal phone. Um, and it, it feels like there's been a big shift, a very transformative shift in that sense. Uh, you've also mentioned the, it, just how much the growth of phone numbers as how many more phone numbers there are out there right now. Yeah, let me give you just two numbers about Canada. Canada has 96% of all adults have cell phones in Canada. And there's even a lot of fixed lines, a lot of landlines, like I'm talking to you right now. Uh, back in, these numbers are from 2020, so they're two years out of date. There was still 
37% of all inhabitants still had landlines in Canada. Now, some people had landlines and mobile phones. Uh, you know, there's steadily a shift of dropping people's landlines, but many people, especially those who are older, still like keeping their landline phones around. Uh, so there's actually more phone numbers right now in Canada than there are people. Same in the U.S., you pointed out as well, like se- several tens of millions more, right? Uh, <laughs> Same in the <laughs> U.S. Yeah. yeah. As a matter yeah. of fact, I was actually joking with my wife the other day. Uh, I have a cell phone. My wife has a cell phone. And we're talking to you on our landline, which is sort of our, our, for both of us. But our car has its own cell phone number uh, because the car has a cell phone plan. Oh, <laughs> and really? I was like, yeah, I was like, hmm. In the old days, we used to get kids their own cell phone, but now the car has a cell phone so it can communicate. <laughs> <laughs> you, you mentioned some really interesting history and I'd forgotten about this because I, I don't, but I, it seems to me at some point in my younger life, we rented our phone, just like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a time when the phone itself was quite the luxurious item. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Most people rented their phone here, at least in the United States, up until 1983. Uh, there was one phone company, AT&T, and had a monopoly and it didn't really want to sell phones. It just wanted to rent equipment. Uh, and back then, uh, most people rented their phones for a relatively nominal price. And in 1983, when AT&T was broken up, people were given the option to buy their phone. And you could buy that basic black rotary phone, which people can look up pictures on the Internet. Uh, and it was, uh, I'm going to adjust for inflation and put it into Canadian dollars, $75 Canadian, which actually is quite cheap compared to what it costs to buy a cell phone nowadays. But you have to remember that black cell, that black rotary phone didn't do as much as your cell phone does. You couldn't play games on it. All you could do was talk to somebody on the other end. If you were lucky. Yeah. Yeah. And get a workout dialing. I remember that part of it too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Especially the, if the number um, had a lot of seven, eights and nines in it. Yeah, exactly. You always liked those numbers that had several of the same digit in it. Are you surprised that landlines are still around? I mean, we've been reading about sort of the, I was going to ask you about pay phones later, but are you surprised that landlines have survived as long as they, I have a landline, we never use it. We use it to open the door, essentially, of our building for, for guests. Uh, but but I know a lot of people still have landlines in the house. You know, people seem to be um, reluctant to get rid of them, at least people of a certain vintage, like myself. Um. Let me, you know, on radio shows, talking about numbers is sometimes really bad, but let me, <laughs> let me give you a couple of, just a couple of numbers. Back in 2012, which was almost a decade ago, half of all people in the United States had a landline and a wireless phone, right? And just in the last 10 years, we're down to under 30%. We're down to 29% of people, landlines with wireless phones. So I think what's happening is in a very short time, we're having this huge demographic shift that people are sort of giving up on their landlines and saying, why am I paying this and getting relatively little value out of it? And one of the reasons, I think, is because phone calls have gotten so cheap. We talked about that earlier. They went from about $750 Canadian to basically zero. You can get spam phone calls from anywhere in the world. And people with landlines seem to get, at least uh, here in the United States, people with landlines get more spam phone calls than they do on their cell phones. The cell phones are a little bit better at blocking spam phone calls. So if you're paying money and you're getting spam, people are like, oh, I'm not really sure it's economically valuable to me. 
Yeah, it's a bit like getting it's a bit like having a mailbox to get junk mail, right? To some extent. Mm-hmm. I'm speaking with Jay Zagorski, he's a senior lecturer in markets, public policy, and law at Boston University. We're talking about uh, the phone. It's National Phone Day, and uh, Professor Zagorski happens to teach at the same school that Alexander Graham Bell had taken a year off to go invent his phone, uh, but was teaching at the same school uh, back then. So lots of history surrounding today and the school and Jay's expertise and all this. When we come back, I was going to ask you a bit about where this is all headed, do you think, uh, in the not-so-distant future? Uh, will we see the end of landlines officially? Will we see the end of payphones officially? They keep, I think, I think we're down to the last couple of hundred in Canada, but I'm not exactly sure. We'll get to that after this. I'm speaking with Jay Zagorski here on National Telephone Day. Jay is a senior lecturer in uh, economics at Boston University. It also happens to be the same school that Alexander Graham Bell had taken uh, some time off from uh, when he went off and invented his phone. So lots of history there. Um, I was just one of the things I've always found fascinating is how many movie plots wouldn't work if there had been cell phones around. That was one of the things I was thinking about <laughs> when thinking about speaking with you today, uh, being that you're a big phone phone buff. Um, you, you kept you've hung on to your landlines. Is what do you like? What do you still like about? Is it a tactile thing? Uh, what I really like about landlines is that. In the event of a disaster, let's say the power goes out for three or four days, the cell phone networks have generators, but those generators are run on either gas or diesel backups or battery backups. And after a couple of days when the power is out, you can't use cell phone networks. As a quick example, uh, I have a sister who lives in Puerto Rico, and they went through Hurricane Maria a number of years ago, and she didn't have power for five months. Uh, and landlines, they're really designed to work in extreme disasters, uh, and cell phone networks are a little bit more fragile. So I personally keep the landline around so that everybody in the neighborhood knows, well, when the cell phone network goes down, you can always come over to my house and use the cell phone to make a phone call. Yeah, even even your car may come in because its phone its phone won't work either. Um, that's a really good that's a good point. Of course, we I we have one of those plug in phones that you, that has to charge, right? So, I guess that defeats the uh, the whole purpose. Um, that's why I still have the black rotary dial phone. <laughs> Almost no, very little electricity used by a rotary dial, except for your finger making a sound. Yeah. yeah, those those are great. I, we had one of those. Those are I remember them being remarkably heavy. Those ones. Uh, they are. They are. When it falls off a desk on my foot, it does definitely hurts. Uh, and, and I don't want to sound like a luddite uh, because I do have a. I have a cell phone. The car is a cell phone. I have yeah. cell phones. Uh, so we have the whole gamut of telephone technology, from the very most modern to the uh, as old as it's still working. Do you think there'll come a time when, when, in fact, the technology will be abandoned? By by, you know, that phone companies won't. There won't be no reason to have landlines anymore, per se. I do. I do. Telephone companies, they're in business to make profits. Uh, They're not trying to keep people who are history buffs like myself happy. Uh, And they can prove to the government that their cell phone networks can stay up during a disaster for three or four days. I think the government will say fine, Uh, because there's been a steady erosion in the number of people with landlines. Uh, Here in the United States, we're down to, and these figures are from last year, down to just 2% of the population with landline only phones. Right. So, and those numbers were quite high very recently. Uh, So back in 2005, a third of the country had a landline and no wireless phone, a third of the country down to 2% in roughly 16 years. I mean, that's, it's going to be abandoned. 
Yeah, and, and just if, when you look at when I was looking through your history of, of of how long it took people sort of how many phones per person uh, over the many many years from ten you know one phone for every ten people in the country to one to every five and then I think there was a you mentioned there was a um, hit that plateau in the late nineties where there was one for one mm-hmm. uh, it feels like this whole revolution in phones has has, has been remarkable in the last twenty years. Not only has it been remarkable, but a lot of people focus on how much inequality that, you know, CEOs are making so much money, things like that. But phones have become a great equalizer right now. And let me just tell you, I don't have the numbers for Canada, but I do have for the United States. We have less than 1% of the population who is phoneless. You know, no ability to communicate via phone doesn't doesn't have a phone number. I mean, that is, and this used to be just for kings and queens only a little over 100 years ago. And today, pretty much everybody from the poorest person to the richest person has a phone. Jay Zagorski, it's been fascinating. Thank you so much for calling us on your landline uh, tonight to talk uh, to talk us through uh, the history of the phone on National Telephone Day. Wonderful talking to you, Ben. Thank you for <laughs> giving so. me this opportunity. Yeah, my pleasure. We'll talk to you again next year on the Bye-bye. very same day.